You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we're continuing through the book of Romans as Pastor Josh Brady preaches from the latter half of chapter 3. While earlier passages have pointed out our sin problem, we're finally getting to some good news today as we hear about how the righteousness of God is imparted to us through faith in Jesus. As we listen, we pray that God's Word will challenge, convict, and encourage us. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. Good. Great. I'm so glad that you are here today. If you have your copy of God's words, will you open to Romans chapter three? That will be our passage for today. Uh, And this is finally the good news section, guys. We have made it, but more to that in just a second. Before we begin our preaching part of this service, I don't want to miss an incredible opportunity This past Friday is Veterans Day, and we want to make sure that we honor our veterans to the best of our ability. So if you have served our country, would you stand this morning that you may be recognized? Please keep standing. We want to make it as awkward as we can for you. There are truly no words that we can give to you to say thank you enough, but we thank you. And hopefully you all know, and, and, and you've already been told, hopefully, that there is a lunch today honoring you and your service and your family's sacrifice and service. And that is at 12 o'clock today or immediately following our second life group hour. And that is going to be in the third floor faith building today. But before you sit down, church family, would you join me in praying for these people? Oh, Father, we do thank you so much for our veterans across our country and in this room today. We thank you for their families. We thank you for the life that they have lived and the way that they have served. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. Lord, I pray that you would continue to make your face shine upon them. Lord, if they love you and follow you, Lord, we give you all glory and honor and praise for that. And if they have yet to do so, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Jesus, we love you and it is in your powerful name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Hey, speaking of a great meal that's coming up. Did you know that the season for big guys is coming around the corner? No? Okay. This is what we've trained for. Nobody panic. It's time for us to shine, okay? Hey, we have our Broadmoor Thanksgiving meal this Wednesday night. I know it was on the announcement, but a lot of us kind of are making our way still into the room and may have missed the announcement. This Wednesday night, starting at 5.15, we would love for you and your family to come and join us for our Wednesday night Thanksgiving meal. And then there is a program by our preschoolers shortly to follow. Here's what we need you to do so we can plan accordingly. If you would use that QR code or go to broadmoor.org forward slash events forward slash Thanksgiving, or just go to the homepage and you'll be able to find it there as well. We need you to RSVP, okay? The way that's going to work is how many adults are coming, how many kids are coming. We just want to make sure there is enough turkey and enough ham and dressing for everybody to enjoy and for me to have stuff I can take home after, okay? We are just so thankful for what Wednesday night's going to be. We don't want you to miss it. It's an awesome opportunity for our really big church to feel smaller. When we gather around the tables, we look at other, each other in the eye and we just tell each other that we love, we love them and we're so thankful for them. Join us this Wednesday night. Now, on to the sermon. Let's get on to the good stuff. Okay, so we started this sermon series on September 11th. And since that day, this letter has felt like a constant barrage of really hard news. 
We had a nice little welcome in the opening from the Apostle Paul, and that was really nice, but since then, it's been pretty much on. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. You, you can sum up probably the first two chapters in that sentence. But here's where it starts to feel a little personal. Who's unrighteous? Well, Paul would say emphatically and over and over again, everyone is unrighteous. Jews, Gentiles, people with the law, people without the law. Jews didn't like that news. Their argument was this. Here's what they would say. Being, Being that they were God's chosen people, they would say, hey, we are his promised people. We have his law, we have his word, and we carry the mark on our body of the covenant. Paul's response to the Jews, you are indeed blessed, brothers and sisters, but you are not better. Then then it continues on, this this law that makes you so proud, the the one that, that you boast in most often, that law isn't there to save you, it's to point out your desperate need to be saved. And that mark on your body, it's a constant reminder of your inability to keep your side of the promise. So Paul kind of turns the tables on these really proud Jewish men and women because they would say, no, we, we are better because we have these things. And Paul says, no, no, you are blessed because you have these things, but these things are pointing out you are in desperate need of something more. So here's, here's the quick recap before we jump into today. God's wrath is coming against all unrighteousness. You're unrighteous and I'm unrighteous. And we're all unrighteous. So God's wrath is coming against us, all of us, because of our unrighteousness. And there's nothing that we, in and of ourselves, can do to stop it. Hey, Josh, have we gotten to the encouraging part yet? Nope, not yet. So, if unrighteousness is the problem, and we can't fix it, we can't change it, And we can't buy our way out of it. Is there anything that can be done? Is there any hope for any person in the world? I am so glad you asked. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the laws and the prophets... The law and the prophets bear witness to it. All right, so, so some may think that what they're about to hear is something that will happen in the future, as if, as if we, were, we were broken here, but, but in this, this current audience. When I say we, I'm saying this audience right here, first century. What they're about to hear in Paul's letter is something that, that potentially is going to happen soon, in the near future. But Paul says that's not the case. Because it has already been manifested. It's already been done. Something happened in their past that has changed the fact that unrighteousness has now been moved and counted as righteous. And for them, that would be a head scratcher. Wait, 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 what what happened? We didn't do anything. There wasn't a big event that that I was a part of, that I did, that that I made some kind of amends or or in and of myself, so so what would it be? And some may also think that this is new information. Well, it's not, because the law and the prophets is something that they have been speaking about since God gave it to them. So Paul says to the Jews, the law and the prophets that you love so much, what I am telling you now is exactly what they have been telling you for generations. 
What's the law and the prophets been saying? What is Paul saying to them now? This news must be pretty big. Here is the big news. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All right, so anyone and everyone, all who believe, can receive the righteousness of God only through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so for those who would argue, but we're better. We're chosen. We have the law. We have the sign of the covenant. Verse 23, and this is probably a verse that many of us know. This may be one of the verses that we, were, we, we first committed to our memory. This is a part of that Roman road discussion, right? Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Now that is indeed a statement to remember and memorize, but remember guys, this is a response to some boasting that the Jews were doing. No, 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 we, we, we are chosen. We got the law, we got the mark. Paul, you're one of us, don't you understand? Paul's response, but we've all sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. We are all equally broken in our sin, in our sinful state. So for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. All right, now, I want to take a minute and I want to explain this beautifully awesome meaning of justification. Now, in this wording, guys, in the 16th century, there was the Protestant Reformation. This, this idea that, that Martin Luther, the, the Protestant reformer, looks at, at, the, at the Catholic church, at, at, at the church in Rome, and, and effectively says, no, this, this is not the way. This, this isn't the way. There is a better way. This, you, you can't dictate for me salvation and remission of sins. That's not the, the earthly priest role. You have no power in doing that. That's already been done. That's what he's saying here has manifested. It's already happened. And so this is this, this section of Romans, this, this end part of, of chapter 3, is what sets the world on fire. And hopefully for us, when we understand it, allows us to walk more confidently, not in us, but in Christ and what he has done. Because we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the word justification is of monumental importance to us. Let's work through a definition, okay? Justification is the act by which God declares a person to be righteous in his sight. This happens in a single moment in time. Think when a judge gives a ruling that's final and they take the gavel and they hit it down. It's done. That is what justification is. Justification is the moment of our salvation. Salvation for us is not a progressive work. Sanctification is a progressive work, but that happens after salvation. Justification is the moment that we move from unrighteous person, fully deserving the wrath of God and it coming for us, to someone who is now deemed righteous by God, and we are viewed to be robed in the righteousness of Christ. And that happens in a moment called justification. But the question of the morning, the question that Paul is going to respond with our remaining verses is, 
How does that justification happen? Now, let's take a moment before we jump in. Remember, there's boasting on both sides. The Jews would say, yes, God loves us because we have the law, we're chosen, we have the mark. The Gentiles would say, well, God loves us just because he's a loving God and he's pretty much cool with anything. And Paul says, not so fast to both. And he brings us back together and he tells us about this idea, this doctrine, this deep theological understanding of what salvation is and it's called justification. So the question this morning is how are we justified? How do you get to say that you are now forever righteous? We go back and we read verse 24 just one more time and are justified by his, what's the word? grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right, so our justification comes to us by God the Father as grace to us through Jesus Christ the Son. One more time, let it sink in. Our justification comes to us by God the Father as grace to us through Jesus Christ the Son. It is a gift given to us. So let us be crystal clear before we jump in to one more word study this morning. We did nothing to get saved. Why is that important for us? Because if you did something to get saved, you can do something to be unsaved. God in his grace and his sovereignty saved you, all of you, past, present, and future, and he saved you forevermore. The only thing that we brought to the table of salvation is our need for salvation. That's all it is. That's the beauty of this justification moment. All glory, honor, and praise goes to God. It's not 90-10. It's it's not 99-1. There is nothing that we have done that we get glory and honor for. The only thing that we should see ourselves in is in the shame and the guilt of even needing this. But God in his grace saw that too and gave us gift of grace. So, did God in his grace just say to our sin, no big deal, we're all good. Is sin not a big deal as we were led to believe that it was? No. Sin is absolutely eternally wicked and it is a huge deal to God and it should be a huge deal to us. So then, how did we go from unrighteous in our sin to righteous robed in the beauty of Christ? What happened? Verse 25 explains it all. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Now, I'm going to try to explain to you, and we have a crack shot team who puts together some animation for us, and you're going to see that come up on the screen in just a moment. And I'd love to tell you that this came from my mind. It did not. It came from one of my heroes in the faith that I've never met, but I pray one day by God's grace, I will get to meet him in heaven because he went home to be with the Lord last year. His name is R.C. Sproul. And here was his idea of how to explain justification. Our justification happened only because of Christ, propitiation, and expiation. Now, 
There's a lot of big seminary words there, guys. And after this morning, you don't have to remember them, but I pray that they are going to be sweet to your soul when you understand them, okay? So let's start with the first. Let's start with propitiation. So in justification, there's a work that Christ does. Jesus goes to the Father to satisfy the demands of the Father's justice. So it's this idea of a vertical work, that, that Christ comes on our behalf, he goes to the Father to atone, to, to propitiate, to, to atone for our sin. I remember in seminary, one of my professors asked a question when we were talking through the doctrine of, of, of justification and the wording of propitiation. What does that look like? And, and the question that he initially asked was this, and it sounded strange, and it may sound strange to you when I say it and without the context. Where's the safest place to be in a forest fire? I don't know, not in the fire. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, he said, in a place that's already been burned. And we're like, what are you talking about? He said, well, if you're standing on the dry side and the place that has not been touched by the fire yet, and that fire is raging towards you, you can't escape it. But if you find yourself in the place that's already been burned, the place that all the fuel around it is already gone, that it has already been burned up, there's nothing else that can touch you there. You're in the safest place that you can be. And this idea of propitiation is this idea of scorched earth. This idea that where, where there was wrath coming for the sin that we had, that Christ in his great grace takes on our sin and receives the full wrath of God and takes it all. And so now where we stand is in a place that cannot receive more wrath because it's already been satisfied. So Christ goes to the Father who is just to give us freedom from the wrath that is due to us, propitiation. God is satisfied because of Jesus' work. Now we move to the next word, expiation. Expiation is this idea, and this is more of a horizontal work. Because of what Christ has done in propitiation, now we live in the effect of expiation. The very thing that separated us from God is now removed from us because of what Christ has done. So if sin is who we are, if it is our identity, if we are born with that nature, then the act of Christ going to the Father and atoning for that and giving us a new heart, removing the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, then that sin nature is out from us. How far does it go out from us? Well, the psalmist says it this way in Psalm 103 verse 12. As far as the east is from the west. So what happened? What happens when you put propitiation and expiation together? This is what R.C. Sproul came up with as a picture and an image. You get the cross of Christ. And it's in the cross of Christ that we have found forgiveness with the Father. And it's not just a, he's looked past our sin as if it wasn't a big deal. Our sin was a big deal. It's a big deal to him and it should be a big deal to us. But Christ in his grace took our sin to the Father and took on the full wrath that belonged to us and it took our sin as far as the east is from the west. And now when God the Father looks at his creation, those who have put their hope and trust in Christ, we are not seen as sinful, broken people. We are seen as Christ righteousness. 
This is the beauty of justification. Church, this happens in a moment. It's not you trying harder to be better. This isn't something that you are trying to get to as years go by. When you put your faith in Christ, this is what happens today. So the question then becomes, why in the world would we ever think that this has anything to do with us? Where is our boasting in this? Where is our boasting in Christ's propitiation and expiation? Where is our boast in justification that has been applied to our life? Verse 26 says this, it was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So just and justifier, that's a big deal. That's, that's a big word connecting together. God didn't just look the other way at our sin. He's completely just. Our sin had to be dealt with. Sin had to be atoned for. He was not only just, but he was also the justifier. He is the one who atoned for that sin. This is why our faith in Christ is in Christ alone. That's why we'll say it this way when we understand the gospel, that the gospel plus anything else is no longer the gospel. Meaning this, the good news of Jesus Christ is Christ and Christ crucified. If you add anything to that equation, it is no longer a true gospel and it's no longer good news. For example, if you say it is Christ, Christ crucified, and church attendance. Christ, Christ crucified, and you praying a prayer. Christ and Christ crucified and you giving a good tithe. Christ and Christ crucified and you trying harder to be better. Anytime you add us to the equation, we nullify it. Oh, church family, don't miss this. This is the beautiful doctrine of justification. God in his infinite grace saw the depth of our depravity and chose to love us anyway. God is not limited in his view. He didn't just see your past. He didn't just see your present and you trying harder to do better and he's taking a gamble on where it goes from here. And you would say, well, Josh, I don't believe that, but right, how often though do we live that out? Here's the example of that. The moment you put your faith and hope in Christ, it's, it's a new day. The old you is gone, the new has come. You're walking in confidence in the Lord, but then sin begins to come into your life again and you think, oh no, I've messed up again. And it's in that moment that we start to go back to the old way because we think we've blown it. We think that we have outsinned God's grace. It is impossible. Where sin runs deep, God's grace runs deeper still. So, verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? Is it, it's excluded. But what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. All right, so, so what did we do to be made right with God? Listen to me carefully. Nothing. The law didn't do it. Our works didn't do it. All right, listen to me, religious people. This is really hard, and, and there's a whole lot of Romans left to explain this why, okay? The law and good works didn't do it. 
Meaning that, that because you had this book and because you obeyed what it said, that didn't make you right with God. Trust me on this. You can read the Bible and you can do what the Bible is saying, but if your heart is not changed, you're still lost. And so when we have this book, we understand that it is good. It is a blessing for us. But the greatest blessing of our life is Christ's work on our behalf. The fact that he, in his grace, saw us fully and loved us completely, changed our heart of stone for a heart of flesh, and now we are forever his, not because of what we do, but because of what he's done. That is the beauty and the good news of the gospel. Our boasting is not in us. It is in Christ and Christ alone. Verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? See, not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, that, that's a big word. Do you guys remember Dr. Cockrell last week and he did Deuteronomy chapter six in the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, is one. This is something that the Jews would believe. And so in this moment, Paul is speaking pretty clearly to the Jews. He's saying, no, no, you, you believe that God is one. You believe that God is, is God. And so, so from here, he asks the question, so is, is God just the God of the Jews? No. Well, is he just the God of the Gentiles? Absolutely not. He's the God of all, for he is one who will justify the circumcised by faith. Um, just a quick Old Testament quiz. What people group were circumcised? The Jews. So let's listen to the words, okay? Who will justify the, the Jews by faith and the uncircumcised, which would be the Gentiles, through faith. More to this as the days go on, particularly as we begin next Sunday. This book is of extremely great value to us. Again, as the Lord in his great grace, as a gift to us, changes our heart, our response should be, we want to be obedient to him. This is how we know that we are being obedient to him. Is we read this book and we do what it says. But it has to be in the right order. What I just told you is this, obedience to this book, doesn't come before salvation. Like, like this, this is not salvation to you because you read a word on a page and you did what it said. Salvation to you is God's grace extended to you. But the proof of that it's when our hearts are aligned and we say, God, my heart is your heart. I want to do what you want. And this is what he wants. And so for the Jews who had this law, what he's saying to them is, who will justify the circumcised by their faith in this atoning work that has been done on their behalf? His name is Jesus. And then for the, for the Gentiles, that they're going to be justified through their faith in this person that they are putting their hope in, in Jesus Christ. This is incredible news. So does that mean that we throw away the law? Because we're now living by faith? That question Paul answers emphatically in the very next verse, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. 
Our faith in Christ is what brings us back to the beauty of the law. Not as a burden, but as a gift. It's as a roadmap that leads us to a life that brings God the most glory and us the most good. So again, remember the tension of this this first century Roman church. You have Jews and Gentiles. You have the Jews saying that, yeah, Christ is good, but you need Jewish customs. You have the Gentiles saying, well, all you need is just Jesus, and you kind of do what you want to do because that's what Jesus is all about. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's neither of those two things. It's something totally new. We don't throw away the law. Matter, matter of fact, it's because of Christ's work, because of his gift, because of justification, that we uphold the law. So our worship team comes back out and, and we move into this response time. Again, remember, this is never the time to pack up and be done. This is time to, to lean in. So what do we do with what we've just heard? What do we do with the good news? All right. This is really simple, but I believe it's really profound, and it has immeasurable implications in your life. Are you ready for it? Here it is. What do you do with this? Put your faith in Christ alone. Period. Put your faith in Christ alone for all things that is your life. We ask a question you just heard Thomas ask just a second ago when we do baptism. Who have you put your hope and trust in? And the typical response to that is Jesus Christ. Church family, that answer should not be just reserved for the baptistry. That answer should be every breath we breathe out with all that we have our Christian hands in. When you wake up in the morning, what should you do? faith alone in Christ. When you're working through the calendar that is your day and you are, you are already thinking through the meetings that will be sweet and some that will be really hard, what should you do? Faith in Christ alone for those meetings. When you're working through your marriage and you're trying to sort out what's going to happen with it, faith in Christ alone for your marriage. When you're sorting out children or, or the desire for children, We're trying to parent children. What do you do in that moment? Faith in Christ alone for that moment. When everybody's around you and you're trying to sort out what kind of example you're going to be, what do you do in that moment? Faith in Christ alone for that moment. When nobody else is around you and they can't see what you're doing, watching, reading, listening to, what do you do in that moment? Faith in Christ alone for that moment. You see, when Christ went to the Father on our behalf, he went fully knowing you. Every good bit about you and every wicked part about you, he knew it all. And he went to the Father and he said, I'll stand in their place. And in that moment, he atones He drinks the cup of God, the wrath of God is satisfied and expiation happens and our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Hear me out, church. It's not just the effect of sin, but it's the sinful heart that we have. We are now, because of what Christ has done, set free to follow him. 
not just on Sundays, not just on baptism moments, not just when the world is looking and we want to we wanna represent him well, but with every breath that we have left in our body, that is who we are and what we are to do. Believe in Christ alone for that moment. Christ Jesus has done the work. You can be counted as righteous. Sins are forgiven. Debts are paid. Identity before God is forever and eternally changed. This is available to all who would put their hope and trust in Christ. So as we move into our response time this morning, I can only tell you about the good news. I can't believe it for you. Now this is up to you. This is your opportunity to say all the time, we believe God's word. We believe in the work of Christ. We will prove what we believe by how we live. So here's my encouragement to us all. Don't just sing in Christ alone in a worship service. Live in Christ alone with every breath that we have left. And the good, the bad, the hard, and the ugly. God, our life belongs to you. You see me, you know me, and you still love me. So I surrender it all. There's an old hymn. If you guys have ever followed Billy Graham or any of the Crusades or spent any time in churches that sang a lot of hymns. You remember the hymn, I Surrender All? Again not for just the last 30 seconds of a church meeting. This is to be an invitation of your life. Here's what I hope will happen this morning and every breath that follows it. What you have heard today takes the pressure off. Please notice in my explanation of what R.C. Sproul said about justification, what the scriptures teach us in justification, our salvation moment, You did nothing. He didn't save you because you tried harder to do better. He didn't save you because you came up with a really good apology for all the bad things that you had done and you gave him a good promise for all the good things that you hoped to do. He saved you because he's good. He saved you because he is faithful and true. So my call to you is just come and surrender. Not come with guilt and shame to say, I'm so sorry I did those bad things. I'm going to do better from here on out. Come surrender. I guarantee you, if you surrender first, before you start making all those promises, a lot of those promises are going to work themselves out. Come, surrender. Christ and Christ alone for your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of justification. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for him being obedient to the point of death. That he would go to you on our behalf and atone for our sin 
and in that our sin is forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And now, Father, when you see us, you see us through the lens of what he has done on the cross, and we are now redeemed. We are set free, and we walk as men and women who carry a great message. Christ and Christ alone for eternity. So help us this morning, Father. Help us surrender our all to you. We give it to you. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?